So what comes to your mind when you think of getting ready for the day? Something pops in your mind. Maybe this morning we lost an hour. Some of you kind of scrambled perhaps getting ready for the day and there's a uh, checklist that you have to go through. There's activities that you need to do and then you need to get going and you need to go into the day. What comes to your mind when you think of getting ready for a particular day? The passage that we're going to be looking at here is associated with getting ready for a particular day. And the imagery that I want you to start entertaining a little bit might be akin to something that um, I experienced back in the mid-80s out in the Philippines. So I'm in this... Um, this um, we'll call it a, a conference center in a small village in the Philippines. And it's um, pretty much on the shore of the Pacific Ocean. And there's a forecast. And the forecast reads there's a typhoon coming. And it's a very large typhoon. This is a fierce typhoon. A menacing monster is coming your way. So you need to prepare for this day. I've never been in one of those, so I listened to the locals and whatnot, and so we started boarding up the windows and putting tape on and doing all those kinds of things of getting ready for this menacing day. Uh, so the day hit, and it hit hard, and uh, the winds, I haven't a clue how strong they were, but the rain was going um, horizontal, um, the uh, palm trees were swaying, if not breaking, and this, this, uh, this center that we were in was, was uh, cylinder block, but in the Philippines, cylinder block is not quite like in the States, perhaps. And so it, it, you could almost feel it swaying, and, and it, was, it was ominous, it was threatening. And, and what we were to do is go into a particular place and hunker down. And so you, you crouch down, you hunker down, and you, you embrace for the day. And it hit, it hit hard, the sounds were eerie, and then it blew over, and we were safe. Now, as I think about this passage that um, we're going to get ready to think carefully through and preach over God's people, a lot of commentaries and a lot of conversations over Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, have this as kind of the image where the, the Christians are to put on the full armor of God. We've been listening to that over the last two, three weeks. We are to have protection, and we're to withstand the schemes of the devil. We're to withstand what is going to hit us. And in part, that image that I just gave you from the Philippines is in partially true. That there's a particular day coming. Pastor Garrison preached that last week found in verse 13, and it's a particular day, a point in time, maybe a 24-hour period, maybe a few hours or whatever this is, but it's an actual day that's hitting you, specifically, individually, and collectively, our church, and we weather that storm, and we hunker down, and we stand our ground, and we resist the temptations, and we get through a storm, but I don't think that's altogether accurate with respect to verses 10 through 20. Namely, we're just in defense. 
Today we're going to look at defense as a means of offense. We're going to look at being protected in order to move something forward in this Christian life. Perhaps it's more akin to um, the offensive line of a football team. Anyone like football? Oh, please, let me see at least three hands. Adam, I see it way back there. Thank you. So we've got about three or four, so this might not work, but it certainly works for me. So there's a, 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 an image, and we've got a football team, and it's offensive line. So you've got the center, the two guards, the tackle. There's five 300-pounders in front of a quarterback that absolutely loves this team, loves this line, because that's the protection for him. And then the running backs. And the, the, the goal, the objective of this line is to get ready, get set, go. And the snap happens, and now the ball is, is live, and it's in the hand of a ball carrier. And whether it's the quarterback that's going to throw, quarterback that's going to hand off, or the running back that gets the ball, the ball carrier needs protection. And so the line is to protect them. But it's, it's, it's kind of defense, right? It's an offensive line that's part of defense. It's defending an offensive move because the objective is to move the ball forward. So if you think about that imagery, think about the Christian life. Think about in Christ Jesus we have this protection. We are to garb ourselves in this armor because this is warfare. But we're not to cower back and just hope that it blows over. Rather, we are carriers of something. And it's not a ball, it's the gospel. In essence, it's Christ himself, the, the gospel, and we are carrying it into enemy territory. We are to make advancements into enemy territory. And when that is happening, the day is going to come because the defense hates us. The defense wants to stop carriers of the gospel. And that's what we see in Ephesians chapter, 10, or chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. So today's topic is getting ready for the day. And specifically, getting ready for the evil day. It's coming. You've experienced it. If you've been in the Christian life any amount of time, you have encountered it. And it might be today after this, because we're going to speak very pointedly about this offensive move, and Satan hates that kind of stuff. And if you take it to heart and you apply it and start moving with it, the day will come. And it might be today, it might be tomorrow, it might be on Thursday, it might be Friday morning, it might be Saturday evening, I don't know, but it's, it's forecasted. So we need to do something. So our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. And in this passage, you will see, you can go ahead and take out your Bible right now and, and get your eyes on it and start looking. It starts with a command. Stand, therefore. And so therefore is quite peculiar and quite interesting to us because it's an inference. It's saying Something is going to happen. So in, in consequence to that, get ready. 
okay? It's like a mom with the kids who say, it's raining outside, let's get ready. Get your raincoat on, get your boots on, and by the way, grab the umbrella because it's raining outside. That's what he's saying. Stand, that is to say, get ready. Resist the evil day because, verse 13, what Garrison preached last week, the evil day is ensuing. So the command to us is stand, resist the temptations of, of Satan. Get ready. But the question remains, well, how? I, I mean, we're to resist. Okay, I get that. And we've resisted temptation now and again, and we've succumbed to temptations now and again. We've fallen, we've repented, we've gotten up. But, but tell me, how are we going to resist this evil day? And so then when you start reading, you'll see it in the latter part of 14 and on into 15, there's three, I won't geek out too much here, but participles. So telling us a means by which we are to resist in the evil day. So it's stand by means of, and then it goes into word pictures, and you're going, the heck is that? And, and you, you go and you, so today what we're going to do is learn how to resist in the ensuing evil day because it's coming and we need to get ready for that kind of day. And so the big idea is get ready for the evil day. The Christian needs to involve himself or herself in three basic activities. And so we're going to explore those activities. We're going to interpret these metaphors and we're going to apply these concepts and these realities so that when that day hits, we will be able to stand and the ball will move forward. The gospel will advance into enemy territory. So if you have your Bibles, I ask you to stand with me. I ask you to open them up in reverence to the one who breathed out this book through human writers, namely the Bible, the inspired written revelation. In Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to listen to God's voice starting in verse 10 and we'll end at verse 15. This is the word of the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm in the evil day. And having done everything, stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the readiness that comes out of the gospel of peace. This is the word of the Lord.
You may be seated. So as we can see, there is that command right at the beginning of verse 14, stand. That is to say, resist the temptations. They're coming in this evil day, and we are to withstand those. And then there's those three INGs, activities. The first one you'll see is right, right in the middle of verse 14. And I left it as it is in the original. Gird up your loins with truth. So a couple weeks ago, I think, or maybe last week, I get them confused. Um, Lisa and I were up in Toledo and we were with our boys, Joel and Seth. And we had a wonderful night, stayed up fairly late and enjoyed and then we all went to bed, and in the morning I get up fairly early, so I'm first one up, so I'm down, and I've got my coffee, have a little light, and I'm around the table, and I'm getting ready for this message right here, jotting some things down, looking some things up, and praying, and here comes Seth, with his groggy eyes and his grovelly voice, good morning, Baba, and I said good morning, and so he went into the kitchen, and he got his cup of coffee, threw water on his face, and got ready, and he came in, and he said, what you doing? And I said, well, I'm uh, with the Lord, I'm praying, I'm jotting some things down, getting ready for a message that's coming up in a week or two. He said, oh, I see. And I said, hey, buddy, I'm going to give you a phrase. And when I say the phrase, I want you to define or describe what it means. He said, okay. I said, don't think it through too much. Just right when you hear it, just let me hear what comes out of your mouth. I said, okay, okay. So here's the phrase, gird up your loins, and he went, and if I could see your faces through your masks when I said that, you probably went, what the heck does that mean? That's the literal rendition of that. Some of your versions, the English, uh, uh, the, the, the English version will, will say, put the belt of, of of truth on, fasten it tight, and that's, and that's accurate, and that's wonderful, but the imagery here is taken out of probably Exodus 12, 11. you can write that down or, or go over there if you'd like, but girding up the loins was an activity in ancient Near East where, where they have a, a flowing garb, and, and it's like a, a bathrobe of some sort, and it comes down to about right here, and when they girded up their loins, now I've tried this once and it kind of worked, so I'm going to do it in public and I don't know if it'll work, but it's down this direction and when you have to start moving forward, maybe even running, this would get in the way and so you've got to cinch something up and so you take this flowing robe and you bring it up like this and then you put it into your left hand and then you go down here and you pull it up over here. It's not comfortable right now. And then you pull it around and you tie it. And then you stick it into the belt. And now you're girded. Your loins, this right in here, are girded. They are, they are shored up. And, and, and now you have confidence and freedom and movement to run. That's the imagery. That's the word picture. Gird up your loins with truth. So now what does Paul mean by that? 
He means that there's an evil day coming and we need to prepare ourselves for that evil day. And in order to prepare ourselves for that evil day, our minds must be ready. That there can't be a bunch of old, dead orthodoxy stuck in there or different traditions or speculations or own opinions. It's got to be the very Word of God that penetrates and permeates the way we think and feel and, and desire, right? We need to be men and women, boys and girls, about one book. We need to be Bible-saturated. We need to have our minds marinated in the very words of Scripture so that when it hits, we think in sobriety. We think with clarity. We get it. We know what's going on. Does that make sense? So how do you do that? There's not a real easy way, is there? This book is 66 books written over 1,400 years, over 40 different authors, and it was done in about 90 A.D. That was a long, 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 long time ago. It's a precious and magnificent living Word of God written in pages of Scripture. How do you get it into your mind? You listen to the Bible, preached like this morning, you listen to the Bible through podcasts or however you listen. You read the Bible. Oh, beloved, are you reading the Bible regularly, relationally, clear knowledge and and cordial acceptance of what you're reading? Does that make sense? A warm engagement with what you're reading and read and read and read. And even study and write things down and and get books that help you. Oh, a great book that's coming. What, about maybe a week? I looked at Lisa because she's to to order it. It's brand new from, you got it, John Piper. And it's 750 pages long. I can hardly wait till it comes in. She won't see me for about two months. And I'll just be, it'll take me from Genesis to Revelation over the providence of God And I just absolutely love that. But most of us are not going to read tomes. So how do you get into this? Read good books. You don't have to do a 750 page or whatever. But get involved in those. Or or just go to Psalm 119. There's 176 verses. Just take your time and go through that. And ask yourself the question, what got into this psalmist? Because he seems like he's just saturated with God's word and loves God's word and speaks with clarity and, 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 and confidence. Read, meditate, memorize, think. We must, beloved, gird up our loins, the loins of our mind. So you'll see that in Exodus 12, 11. And it's the, it's the, the rescuer coming into Egypt. And he comes in at night and he says, we are taking off and we're leaving Egypt. It's a, it's a picture of the Christian life that actually literally happened. Two million Hebrews in Egypt and Pharaoh hates them like Satan hates you and whips them and keeps them in bondage and slavery. And the Redeemer, the Rescuer comes in and breaks them up, slaughters the lamb, puts the blood over to protect them. Now you are to eat, ingest the lamb, and now we're on a journey. Get ready. And it says, gird up your loins. 
Because we're going out in the dark. There's enemies all around. We don't need to be afraid. We keep our eyes on the Redeemer. And we go through water. We go into the wilderness. We're getting tempted out there. But we know we're going to the promised land. Gird up your loins with truth. Get it in your mind. There's another place. Proverbs 31, verse 17. It's that lady... That incredible lady that just keeps serving and serving and giving and sacrificing. And in 17 it says, she dresses herself. I go, I hope so. But literally it says, she's girding up herself. (gasps) Oh my word, what does that mean? Well, you know what it means now. She's got the, the word of God just permeating through her mind as she buys and sells and fixes and makes and creates and She's doing a ton of things serving people. Lastly, Peter grabs it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. And it says, get your mind ready for action. And there's our word. There's our phrase. Gird up your mind. <laughs> That's what it means, beloved. That's what the first activity we must be involved in in order to stand firm in the midst of the evil day that's imminent and it's coming to you. The second one you see in verse 14 is put on the breastplate of righteousness. Snap it on. Now the Greek word here is very interesting. It's thorax, from which we derive the English word thorax. We're, We're very creative, aren't we? And so it, it, it's to, it, it buckles on on the back side and the front, so it wraps completely around, and it protects vital organs. So when this evil day hits, the enemy is going after one thing. The Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So the, the, the vital organ of the Christian is, is, the, is the heart, is the mind, is, is the soul interchangeable to say the one thing, that, that inner essence of you. And he's going after it with accusations. He's going after it with lies and deceptions. And if we're not snapped on and guarded and protected, he's going to get it somehow, some way, and you're going to start thinking erroneously and not thinking scripturally and you're going to get hurt and you're going to succumb to the temptation and the problem with that is it does hurt I'm sorry and your witness is is scarred yes but overall the ball is not moving forward You are done. You're down. Now, there's repentance and there's restoration and there's encouragement and amen. But now we got to get moving again because the war is advancing the kingdom. It's advancing the gospel. And we've got to get ready for this because he's not going to give up. He was defeated utterly in the first century with Jesus going to the cross and dying in our stead and rising for our victory and he was crushed but he continues to fight until the second coming of Christ when he takes him and throws him into the pit and so we have to put on the breastplate of armor right 
the breastplate of righteousness, excuse me. So what is that? Well, imputation of Christ's righteousness is a theological way of saying that. But what does that even mean? This righteousness we don't earn, right? This righteousness we don't perform for. This righteousness we don't try to be the good Christian and then lift up our arms and say, okay, is that good enough? Now I've got my wish list and you're obligated to give me something, some kind of blessing. That is not the Christian life. Rather, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you hear the exchange, the great exchange? It's here, Jesus, take my sin. And he took it and was treated as a criminal, as a sinner on behalf of his people. And he went down in the grave. He paid the penalty. He came up out of the grave to vindicate his people. And then faith in Jesus Christ, he says, here now is my righteousness. I took your sin, now here's my righteousness. And now positionally, for all eternity, we are counted righteous. We are treated by God the Father as though it's God the Son because we're united by faith to Christ. We have His righteousness. And guess what Satan does when he comes in this evil day to stop us from moving the gospel and Jesus Christ forward? Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, is a very interesting passage. And I can't read it without these, so let me see if I can. But just, just listen, you can turn there if you want, but it'll take you maybe five minutes to get to Zechariah, so you can just sit and listen. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan, standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this the brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed in filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you. And I will clothe you with pure vestments. Is that not beautiful? Those awful garments of fleshly indulgences that all of us have participated in. Lifted up and removed by the blood of the Lamb. And then He puts us into Jesus as our armor. And now we are righteous before our God the Father, and even our enemies. So those accusations cannot harm us. If you are shame-based and feel accused and condemned, you're not going to move the gospel into people's lives. You just won't. So, the second activity is put it on. Get close to the gospel. Read these kind of texts. If you need help, talk to the elders, talk to the deacons, talk to community group leaders, talk to your friends, get into the Bible and see particular 
pieces of the gospel that you just look into and love and put on because you're righteous in Jesus. The third activity that we must be involved in in order to resist in that day that's actually coming might even be tonight. So let's, let's think carefully over this. Is shod your feet with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now here's another one. Whom among us got up this morning and shot at the feet? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, but it, it, it's something that they did in first century. And, and I'm assuming that it's, it's, the, it's the sandals that they wore. And then they have little straps. And shodding is just like shoeing the feet. Did you know that shod is a past tense of the word shoe? And shoe is a verb? <laughs> it's kind of strange for the English language. But yeah, shoe the feet. Those who don't have shoes on their feet, you know, it's just like, okay, that's what's happening here. So we're, we're, we're shoeing the feet with what? Readiness. It's a key term in verse 15. And, and it means not just preparation, like we memorize certain things about the gospel. That's a really good thing, but it's even better than that. We, we get gospel in our lives we start thinking about the categories of the gospel we start understanding carefully the particularities of the gospel and it's starting to do something to us it's 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 like eagerness comes over us it's it's alacrity for the feet that almost gives rise to wings to the feet it's a very peculiar word and a beautiful imagery and now you say, I don't have a clue what you just said. So we're getting really close to the gospel. And I brought these. This is a wonderful little tool. I thought I had 25 and I only found four. And so if any of you have a question over this message, come to me after the service. And the first four get this tool. It's a wonderful tool. And it just rehearses the gospel regularly and relationally for your heart. It's a wonderful, wonderful. So be thinking about a question and take initiative and walk into my life and say, hey, Dan, I got a question. And it might be, why did you wear a green shirt? I don't care what it is, but just ask a question, then you get that. Now, where are we in the message? It's shotting the feet with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And so there's a, here's another word that we can geek on because this is figures of speech and word picture. It's a synecdoche. Ah, cool word. But it's a part that represents the whole. It's like saying, I have six mouths to feed. I got to get up and get out and get to work so I can feed six mouths. Now, Mike doesn't think that there's, there's going to be like little denture-like things around the kitchen table chomping. That's not the, the imagery, right? A mouth represents a whole. These are little human beings. So it is with the feet. The feet are the whole human being. And the Apostle Paul is, is reading all of Isaiah. He loves the book of Isaiah. In chapter 52, verse 7, it says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, announcing peace, declaring your God reigns. 
Paul picked it up in chapter 10 of Romans, verses 14 and 15. And he said, well, how are they going to believe unless someone preaches? How are they going to preach unless someone is sent? Oh, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good tidings. And here's the point. When you start listening to and actually hearing the, the very music of the gospel and begin to believe in a fresh and cogent way the gospel, there's something interesting that happens to the whole being. It's happiness. It's joy. It's eagerness. It's an alacrity. It's a, it's a briskness. It's feet that almost want to start like dancing and moving the gospel of Jesus Christ into a person's life. Does that make sense? You know, I told you about getting ready for a day. And Lisa and I teamed up when the kids were small. We had four. We had. We have four. But they were really small at this time. And we worked hard at getting them ready for the day. And she would dress them and work on the hair. And those that weren't brushing yet, she'd get in and do this and get them all ready for the day. And then she would leave. And then my, my job was, kids, are you ready? We've got to go. Are you ready for the day? And I'd hear, and all this. And we'd jump into the minivan and we'd go off to school. But fast forward up to now, and that one who just kind of groaned, Yes, I'm ready for the day. Is about nine weeks or so from getting married. And she's been getting ready for a day. And when that day comes, May 15th, as her papa and as the officiating pastor, I'm going to be with her and everyone is going to already be seated, and there's going to be a shift, a transition in music, and I'm going to look at Brittany into her blue eyes, and they're going to be like childlike, and they're going to be dancing. And I'm going to say, honey, it's time. Are, are you ready for your day? And undoubtedly, she's going to just say with Utter joy. Oh, Papa, I'm ready. My feet are ready to just dance down that aisle. I'm going to cry, and I'm going to say, let's, let's go. Let's go. And we're going to push the door open, and we're going to walk down that aisle, and I'm going to hear who gives this woman in holy matrimony, and I'm going to say, her mother and I, and escort her right into the arms of David Clues. She is ready. That's the type of readiness verse 15 is talking about. That's the kind of experience and effect the gospel will have on those who believe the gospel. That there's this sheer childlike, fearless, animated, happy, I'm going to go into someone's life and I'm going to share care, serve, speak the gospel to this person, whether it's a believer or an unbeliever. And that is how the gospel moves forward. That's how the kingdom of God advances. Does that make sense? So you might be thinking right now, so where are we going with all of this? 
There is a destination. There's definitely a destination. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. Paul loved this reality and he wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Please, beloved, listen to these words. He said, And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. We must be kind to all, able to teach and patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those in opposition, if perhaps God may grant repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been held captive to do His will. Beloved, let us resist the temptation to fall back and go into inactivity and go into sin and stop moving the gospel further. Rather, resist that by doing these types of activities so that we can crawl underneath the barbed wire into enemy territory to get to POWs. They're trapped. They are utterly trapped and senseless and need to see and hear the gospel through good works. Words of love and care and and accuracy of the gospel speak. Don't go mute. In the day of adversary. And watch what happens. Watch what happens at Veritas. Watch what happens to your life. And the only way to do that is taking the initiative and going, walking into someone's life. It could be a believer who is confused and needs your help disoriented and needs to sort out things. So help them, love on them, serve them and speak the gospel to them. Or it might be an unbeliever who is destined for hell and you're close to them and you're not talking to them. Why? Gird up your loins with truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness and shod your feet with the readiness that comes and springs out of the gospel of reconciliation and peace and start talking with clarity and accuracy and love. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15 are for us for this day that's coming. Let's pray for help. And oh God, I look to you. I thank you for this moment. A moment where we can step aside from the distractions and the distortions and all the difficulties and we can, we can just be under your word, listening to your voice, looking through your eyes at reality. I pray for these sweet, precious, beloved children of yours. And if there's anyone who listens to this and says, I'm not even a Christian, may this message come to them in, in cogent and clear and convincing ways to bring them to life and join the army of advancing the gospel. So we lay it into your care. 
and we're not afraid of the forecast. Just help us to obey the activities and just get ready because it's going to be good. And we love you and put this before you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.